Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would get your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel according to Matthew. Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 14. Chapter 14. The part of the passage of Scripture we're going to focus on a little bit more closely is a story where Jesus actually walks on the water. But I want us to read beginning in chapter 14, and I am going to read straight through till we get to that point, just to kind of make a couple of points about... You know why is that, why are three different why are these three different stories in uh, in this one chapter, and uh, the the fact is all three of these stories are attached to each other. Uh, not only do they give us a comparison of between Jesus, the example of life that he lived, and and us being human beings, and the example of the lives that we live, um, it, it's a, it's a passage of scripture really that is trying to teach us more about what real genuine trust is. And you've heard me stand up here before and say, "What does it mean to say that you trust God? Do you trust Him when things are going good, and when things are going bad?" If somebody calls you up and says, if you're a doctor, you go have a checkup. Your doctor calls you the next time he says, hey, you got cancer. You got a lot of stuff in your mind to process at that point, right? But ultimately, who's it up to? It's up to God, right? The question is, are you being, are you okay being used any way he chooses? We got a Kevin in here today. Lord used him in major ways. Leave any marks, Kevin? Uh, yeah. When we say, Jesus, I trust you, it isn't Jesus, I trust that the story you told me is true. It's Jesus, I trust you. It doesn't mean I have to like my circumstances. It doesn't mean that I have to even enjoy my circumstances a little bit. The truth is, if I trust God, what happens that ultimately I can't say, I don't like it, makes me feel bad, creates a lot of work for me, but I trust you. It's going to hurt, but I trust you. I'm going to be ridiculed all throughout my life, but I trust you. People are going to call me names. It's going to get real. But I trust you. Why do, we so, why do we see so much depression in the church today? One simple answer to that question. Why do we see so much depression in the big C church today? What's the number one issue? I just opened this whole message up with it. Trust. If the, way the cho- if the way the Lord chose to use you meant you die a young death, is that okay? Should be. If the Lord chooses to use you to be 98 years old, broken down in a wheelchair, not able to feed yourself. I don't know how many older people have come to me and said, I don't know what he's holding on for. I'm like, I don't either, but I'm pretty sure he's right. If you're still drawing breath, he still has something for you to do here. Because my dad told me, and it's stuck with me ever since, 
never taken anybody that he wasn't done with. God has never taken anyone that he wasn't done with. Do we trust him? Let's take a look at the first part of this story and talk about how this actually is going to mesh in with these other two stories because it's a little bit different. This one actually starts with John the Baptist's death. So in Matthew chapter 14, starting with verse 1, it says, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they regarded him as a prophet. But when Herod's brother came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Thereupon, he promised with the oath, to give her whatever she asked. And he, having been, been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. And although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. And he sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took away the body and buried it, and they went and reported to Jesus. Now, before we talk about this, I just just look at this first phrase. In my Bible, it's it's, it's five words. Now, when Jesus heard it. Now, what we we need to do at this point is put ourselves in the emotional state that this would put Jesus. Now, we're going to sit there and say Jesus was 100% God. Amen? He was also 100% man. You cut him, he bled. You punched him, it hurt. He's a human being. He had emotions, just like a human, be- a human being did. You remember when John and Jesus met? Before they were even born. When Mary visited Elizabeth, six months into the pregnancy, the Bible records for us that John left in Elizabeth's womb just being in the presence of Jesus. So I want you to pick up on this. What does this mean when it comes to the relationship between John and Jesus? Close. These are the only two individuals on the planet who have any idea what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is. There were things that Jesus said that John got because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus had a passion for his calling, when he had a passion for the mission that God gave him, John shared that passion. Because the Holy Spirit indwelled him, he was passionate about the things in ministry. If there was one person on the planet that Jesus could have absolutely said, there's one person on this planet that I am attached to physically, emotionally, spiritually, who is that person? John the Baptist. who he was this was a man who stood on a riverbank ate locusts and wild uh, uh, wild locusts and honey literally skinned out a camel and that was what he wore for his clothes stood on a riverbank shouting for people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand 
a man who's seen what was coming before the first apostle was called. And Jesus just receives word. He knew it was coming, I'm sure. But he receives word that John has been beheaded. And what could this possibly mean to Jesus? Well, the first thing, who does he have now? Let's take a look at what it says he did. Verse 13. Now when Jesus heard it, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place by himself. Stop. What kind of an effect did the death of John have on Jesus? Now here's this part though. Look at the next part. We're going to read 13 over again because I don't want to split it. When Jesus heard it, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place by himself. When the multitudes heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When a guy tries to get away to a lonely place because of such an impactful event in John the Baptist's beheading, it says that he intentionally withdrew to a lonely place to be by himself. But all these people that knew who he was, they found him. How many of you guys have ever been driven so emotionally mad that when you went to just hide yourself somewhere, you love when people chase you down? Love it? No, we don't. Look what Jesus did. And when he went ashore, verse 14, he saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Why didn't Jesus just say, my family member, who also happened to be my true comrade in the kingdom, who knew me better than anybody else on the planet, who was truly my partner, just died. Can't you people give me a few days? Here's the deal with trust. Trust allows you to take the emotion off the table. Trust allows you without emotion to see what it is that God wants us to accomplish and then see the ability to accomplish through what he gives us. Most of us, our cheese slides off the cracker when we lose it emotionally. Am I right? Would it be nice sometime just to go somewhere, get away by yourself and not have anybody bug you? But what's the difference? If I trust him, then doesn't that apply to me too? Doesn't that also mean that people are allowed to call me and interrupt my day? You see what I'm saying? 
If I trust God, it pulls out blocks. It pulls out walls. If you trust God, it pulls out more walls. Before you know it, we're not worrying about the things anymore that we don't have any control over. We're worrying about only the things that we can have control over. We're not worrying about the things we can't fix. We're fixing the things that we can fix. Trusting God says, I don't know what the next minute's going to bring, but I'm okay with that. Because I've asked myself this a million times. Is my God big enough to take my migraines away? He is, right? But he didn't. Is my God big enough to have healed my dad from cancer? But he didn't. And it's a rude awakening for a young man when you come to the understanding that he does not serve you. You serve him. And the understanding about sovereignty, he created it. He can do anything he wants to with it. Now, we can be human beings, and we can want to fight, kick, scratch, claw, run. We can do anything that we want to. But do you know what the definition of sovereignty is? It doesn't matter. People can kick, scream, claw, run. They can do anything that they want to. But guess what they're going to find themselves doing one day? They're going to stand before a God who at that point in time is going to try to find little speckles of evidence to say, yes, I trusted you. That's why when I couldn't make my house payment, I went depressed for two solid weeks because I knew there was no hope. As a Christian, is there ever no hope? See, the problem is not that there's no hope. The problem usually is what we're hoping for. It's our motivations. It's what drives us. You know why Christians don't put themselves out there and tell people about Jesus? Because they don't want to suffer. Well, coincidentally, you know what the Bible says happens to Christians who are obedient? They suffer. This is hillbilly logic, folks. If the Bible says those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, but you live your life with zero persecution, do the math. Because the biggest problem in this country today is we don't trust God. We don't think he can protect us when we're telling somebody about him. We don't think that he can give us the answers to the questions that they may ask. Do you hear what I'm saying? I know, God, you told me to go out there and tell people about you. I know. But fall a little short on the knowledge. And God's up there going, are you serious? Can I be honest with you guys? You know how much of my prepared sermon actually makes it into a sermon? Because that's the way God works, folks. I, Doug came in this morning. You want me to do tonight? You still want me to do tonight for me? Yep, I appreciate it. If you're still available to do it, I am. I'm standing there for a second. He looks at me. He goes, "How's it going?" I was like, "God just changed my message this morning." <laughs> and he looked at me and chuckled. He gets it. Every every preacher gets it. You've got two or three sermons that you're working on at the same time, and the one you got set for that morning, you show up at church that morning. God goes, "Oh yeah, by the way, you ain't doing that one. You're doing this one over here." Anymore, I just got curious. I'm like, "Why?" I mean, I'm going to do it. I'm not arguing with you. I just I'm curious why. I mean, there's a reason he would switch the messages around, right? 
We struggle so much because we run around in this world and try to control him. Give me this, God. Take this away, God. Fix them. Heal them. Heal me. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Next time you pray, I want you to check and see whether the first thing that comes out of your mouth is, thank you, Lord. And I've said many times before, what would you think about a friend like that? Anybody ever had a friend like that? Only time they ever talk to you is when they need something. Do you appreciate that friendship? We serve a God who poured his blood out for us. And we do that to him. He sacrificed his life. He felt the excruciating pain of his fixation drain the life from his body. And we say, yeah, Lord, I'll trust you. What did you do that for? If somebody trusts God, do you ask him what he did that for? If he wants to tell you, he'll tell you. What was Jesus about? You know, the Apostle Paul wrote that little tidbit for, for uh, Timothy. Preach the word. Be instant. In season and out of season. I'm not just a preacher when I stand in this church. I'm also a preacher when I leave. I'm a preacher when I'm sleeping. I'm a preacher when I'm frustrated. I'm a preacher when I'm overworked. I'm a preacher when I have too many things to do that I can get done in a day. I'm a human being. I used to think that there were really serious consequences to things that I didn't finish in a day. But you know what the truth is? You could really fall into a rut where you just work yourself to death. Now, I have said many times before, when I enter the kingdom, I want to have left it all on the field. I believe that if a person slides into the kingdom of heaven with all of your energy and all of your sleep caught up, you're doing it wrong. We should be leaving something on the field. At night, I've got really bad about, I've, I've got really bad about, especially over the last six or seven weeks, I just be, I sit down in the evening and I go, <clears throat> Lord, this hurts. <laughs> He goes, and, and just that conversation me and him have, and he goes, uh, he goes, yep. I expected some super philosophical, spiritual, applicable thing to life. This hurts. Yep. But what's the alternative? We get done what we can get done. Just listen to what the Lord tells us to do. What we don't get done, he's going to take care of. It's going to smooth out. It's going to smooth the edges. Why? I mean, I can get frustrated. I got a plan in my head every day. And you know what really frustrates me in my day-to-day -day operations? God changes my schedule. That's frustrating. How many of you have been late to church? Have been late to church? You feel bad for it? Do you know that God could have actually been saving your life? One circumstance in your life that could hold you back five minutes could have prevented a head-on collision. 30 seconds. God could bar your brain from realizing that you didn't have your phone 
you get to your truck, start it up. You are right on schedule with having a, with having a head-on collision five minutes down the road. But God prevented you from seeing that you were missing your cell phone. So when you got to your truck, you stopped, turned around, went back in your house, got your cell phone, went back to your truck and left. How do you know that he didn't just save your life? You don't. The big question is this. Do you trust him? There are no coincidences. I'm going to read straight through this one, make a quick point, and then we'll get to that last section. Jesus said to them, look at 16. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm all lost. 13. I'm going to read straight through. Now, when Jesus heard it, he withdrew from here or from there in a boat to a lonely place by himself. When the multitude heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, the place is desolate, the time is already past, so send the multitudes away that they may go into the village, the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And ordering the multitudes to recline on the grass, he took the, the five loaves, the two fishes. He looked up toward heaven. He blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes and they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. <clears throat> and there were about 5,000 men who ate aside from women and children. You remember me preaching this message maybe a few weeks ago when we, when we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. The, the same, the same message, or, or a message applies here that applied there. With the, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus, he, he feels compassion on the people. He gathers them all up, and then the disciples decide that they're going to be reasonable individuals watching out for the well-being of these people. If we don't send these people away, they're going to be walking away in the dark. And there's no place around here for them to eat. Jesus says, you give them food. And what did he say? We only have Five loaves and two fishes. What have these guys seen up to this point? They've seen the lame walk. They've seen the blind receive sight. People who are blind from birth. They've watched individuals with internal bleeding be healed of their internal bleeding. People who had diseases, leprosy, which is not curable. And him curing individuals of leprosy. They have seen everything. And Jesus, they walk up to him and say, Jesus, these people are getting hungry and there is nothing around here for them to eat. We just don't know what we'll do if it gets dark. And Jesus is going, did you forget who I am? I can see this, him going, did you forget who I am? Well, the fact is, on a day-to-day basis, I believe 10 to 20 times a day, do you know what God has to tell us as individuals if we'll just open our ears? Don't you know who I am? And there's one little nugget in here that we miss. Jesus wasn't being critical when he said, you give them something to eat. That was Jesus saying, if you believed that I could do this, you could be feeding those people. Cost us way too much money to feed that many people. And Jesus is going, hello! 
honestly, how many things do we stumble through in life? And we're trying to figure out our way and the morals and the ethics and we trip back and forth and the whole time if we just clean the wax out of our ears where we hear Jesus standing there going, Hello! The apostles trust him. You know what? I've been to Mexico four times. If you go to Mexico with me, and you've never been to Mexico before. Who are you going to stay close to? Who are you going to trust in Pueblo, Mexico, as to where we go and where we don't go? Who we talk to, who we don't talk to, who we look at, who we don't look at. Who are you going to look to to give you that heads up? The one who knows, right? You would think, although Peter being who he is, understanding... He jumps the gun a lot. You would think that curiosity alone would make you just want to step back and watch. I just, I, I've, he, he's raised people from the dead. He's healed the sick. He's healed lame people. He's the blind see. What are we going to see here? 5,000 men. I told you, potentially, we're talking over 10,000 people. You had women and children in that number. God wanted to use them, and he wanted to use them in a major way. But he couldn't. Why? Because they didn't trust him. Verse 22. Immediately, he made, it, he, he made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. After he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was, was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. Seeing the wind, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. We like to be critical of Peter because he sunk, right? How many of the other apostles asked if they could step out of the boat? It took a lot of courage for Peter to step out of the boat, right? And there's a whole bunch of us Christians that are right there. Matter of fact, I would say that's who most Christians are throughout their entire life. We're individuals who ask Jesus to give us supernatural abilities. And he does. But when we go to actually implement those supernatural abilities, distractions, fear. What happened to Peter? Why? Why did he start sinking? Because he took his eyes off of Jesus. But it wasn't that he took his eyes off of Jesus that we need to pay attention to. 
It was that something took his eyes off of Jesus. When he saw the wind and the waves, what was Peter's emotional reaction to that? Afraid. And what does fear break? Faith. Fear breaks faith 100% of the time. You know, you know how, how strong the command is to tell people about Jesus. But if you also have the fear inside you, you know how powerful that is too because it'll keep the gospel from coming out of your mouth. Peter got afraid. He was distracted by the waves that were going to crash and hit him. Anybody ever been in the ocean? First time I went to the ocean, North Carolina, they just had a hurricane two weeks before that. 25-foot breakers. First time I've ever seen it. We parked about a half mile from the ocean. I get out of the car, and I hear this. My body just completely explodes with goosebumps. I hear this. <laughs> and you see these big puffing clouds of moisture when it hits the ground, just rolling up above the beach. You can't even see the ocean yet. I was super intimidated. My brother-in-law lost his wedding ring that day. Because we were toying around. You always want to get out there at 25-footer and brace yourself to see how hard it hits you, see how far to wash you up the beach when it hits you. Hit him, drug his, feet, or his hands along the, the ground, and he hit a piece of coral, and it yanked his wedding ring off. He never found it. 25-foot wave. How, how hard does that hit? Is it distracting? Because here's what a wave does. You know what the power of the wave is. So the, the thought's in your head. You see the wave. You know it's going to impact you just like it did every other time that it's hit you before. And you need to brace yourself. The trouble is we take our eyes off of Jesus in the process. We become distracted by the things around us that create fear. We become distracted by the things around us that even suppress the truth. Our own mentality suppresses the truth. And it prevents us from being who God's called us to be, which isn't somebody out there who's been called to go do it all. Man, get your, get, get your brain off of the go out there and do it all. Just do, 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 do. That's not what this is about. Are you happy? Are you happy? And if you're not... The reason is because life isn't like you want it. And that's a, hu that's a human thing. There's nothing wrong with that on a human level. But just like I've said before, every, everything in Christianity culminates to one point. Christ. Our lives are no different. We're the Christians. <laughs> These lives are supposed to all gravitate to one point. Jesus. And I can promise you that if you really don't trust him in the depths of your heart, you're not going to be happy. I mean, you're not going to be happy while you're learning how to trust him. But we got to trust him. Otherwise, everything we do is going to be decided by logic. It's going to be decided by reason. Because isn't that what motivates us when faith is moved, removed from the picture? 
if I go tell this person about this, they're going to call me bad names. Logical solution, don't go tell that person that. I know that every one of us that are in this place have fears and things to overcome. And I don't want you to take this message as me being someone who's up here criticizing you because of whatever shortcoming that you may have in life. But I've said this, and I've said this many times before, folks. I believe that we live in one of the most exciting times in all of, all of the world's history. Because we are watching prophecy be fulfilled before our very eyes. It is unfolding. If you don't see it, you're not paying attention. Because I'm telling you, it is everywhere. Tried to get gas in Potosi the other day. No cash. So I thought, I'll go up and hit the one up on Highway 47. Washington County still. Got to that one. Guess what all the pumps said? No cash. Anybody here ever had trouble getting cash at Walmart? Using cash at the self-checkouts, the... Have you seen the shortages that are happening? What do you think that's leading to? Electronics currency. Once they get electronic currency, then what are the possibilities? The global bank's coming, folks. You look the last 20 years, the steps have been being made towards the electronic advancements, the electronic currency. It's coming. I want you to live life as God intended it, happy at its fullest. But I also don't want us to be individuals who get lost in just floating through life, dealing with the circumstances that surround us all the time, not having any opportunities to impact the kingdom. And I know people don't know that they don't know the importance of it. Because I'll be honest enough to tell you that I do believe that many schools are teaching propaganda. They're trying to rewire our kids. Not all of them. Many of them are. If your kid gets to go to school five days a week and get wired by a teacher, but they don't go to, they don't go to church and sit in, the, in, in a Sunday school class one time in a week, which way is that scale going to tip? You reap what you sow, right? Let the school system, let culture teach your kids, and that's what you're going to get. Let Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the church teach your kids, and guess what you've got a little hope for when they, as they grow up? At least you've imprinted something in their mind that's going to that's kick them back to it when they start entering all the insanity of the world when they grow up. Because it's insane, folks. Any questions there? This is the key to life. Trust God. Period. You're not going to be perfect at it. But I say again, folks, we can be a whole lot more perfect at it than we are. Because it really is finding yourself in that instant where you see Jesus presenting you with an opportunity and all of those emotions begin to rush over you. The one thing you'll never think about is the blessing that you're robbing yourself of. Because you just can't know what you don't know. And I'm standing here to tell you, anybody who's in this place who has ever served the Lord under any kind of a passionate calling at all, 
there's no regrets at the end of the day. All these people at camp, the, the, the directors and the kitchen, and they were goofing around a little bit. They kept sending a message out, four more to this church, and they'd get these big eyes. And, and I'd go, yay! And then these day later, there's six more added to this church. And I go, woohoo! And she sends this message back, and she goes, I so need to hear you do that at camp. Because to them, it really was one of those situations where it's like, there's no encouragement from nobody. Hey, the numbers are increasing. Woo! It's like this is God's place. It's God's ministry. Everything's prepped. Everything's been taken care of. If we need to run to Walmart, buy a few items here and there to be able to make up the differences between some additional students, I'll go back to Sam's if I have to. I hope we add another 200 students there. I'll go, no, no. The truth is we have influence over each other. And I'm telling you as a pastor of this church, if you'll entrust your kids to me, I'll make sure they get, ta they get taught solid doctrine. I can't promise what to do with it. But the Bible does tell me that train a child up in the way that they should go and when they grow up, they will not stray far from it. It gives them a foundation. The number of students that I've talked to who have grown into adults who said that if it wasn't for that one vacation Bible school experience, they would have never heard the gospel. So when they hit 19, 20 years old, they started hitting the really rough parts in life. They actually had that one experience to track them back to, to say, Somebody told me about this Jesus. You take a kid who never steps a day in church for weeks, months at a time. That's what I'm getting to, folks. We can do this better. We can live our own lives better. We can do church better. We can do Jesus better. We can do our families better. Can we all agree we can do better? I want to see nothing more than for Jesus to do better for you. And it all ties into that one point. Trust him. Just trust him. If you're here this morning, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. I can't save you, but if you'll come up here and let me know or come to me after church, uh, I'll take whatever time is necessary to make sure that, uh, that I can explain to you the one who can save you. If you're in here, and I believe that most, just about everyone, if not everyone in here is a believer, you could, the Holy Spirit can use any part of this message. But if there was one thing that I believe through this, the preparation of this message that he wanted me to be repetitive about and that he wanted you to walk out of here and get trust me not me it was him saying trust me trust me you can trust me but I've told you before if I haven't let you down yet I will you just wait um, he won't let us down so be encouraged by that and trust him I don't know what you're going through today somebody's going through something because he didn't make me he didn't make me change his messages for no reason don't have no idea who it is somebody needs to hear this maybe somebody on the internet could be somebody on a different, in a different country somewhere I don't know but that's the message the Lord has for you today. Trust me. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Wing with preaching by Keith Barron. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.